welcome to another episode of Experiencing Motherhood Single and Black. I am your host, Cam, and I'm so excited that you have decided to tune in and listen. If this is your very first episode, welcome. If you are part of the community here, welcome back. I really appreciate each and every one of you for taking out the time to listen. So, if you have been listening, you know that we are continuing the Back to School series. We started off with Aisha Taylor, who talked about saving on back to school shopping. Khadija of Grit Mom, who talked about building a routine that works. We then, last week, talked to Sabrina, who talked about keeping your house clean as a busy single mom. So all of these episodes were so helpful. If you haven't had a chance to check them out, make sure that you go back and do so. Um, Even if you have done your back to school shopping, I think that it's still helpful, you know, moving forward, or maybe you have to do fall shopping soon. Um, It's still helpful. Today, I am talking to Lakeisha about dealing with school behaviors as a single parent. I know it can be really frustrating, especially if you have boys and you don't have that male role model or male image in the home. You know, sometimes they tend to act out. And even sometimes we have issues with girls and their behaviors. So definitely stay tuned in so that you can hear what Lakeisha has to say as an experienced counselor. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment and thank you guys for DMing me about the recent episodes in the Back to School series and how they have helped you. And I appreciate those of you who have taken time to leave a review. So if you are listening or you have been listening and you find this information helpful, please take out the time and leave a review. And we still have spots remaining for the Single Moms Cruise. So if you are interested in traveling with a group of single moms and you want to learn more about motherhood and just have a good time, then you definitely want to check that out. I am going to put the link in the show notes so you can click on that and be directed to find out more about the cruise and I hope you guys can uh, join us. I'm really hoping that we can make this thing happen. Um, if you are not sure why I decided to host the Single Moms Cruise, um, a few episodes back, well not a few but quite a few episodes back, we we did a travel series and after the travel series, I got all kind of DMs about putting together an affordable group trip for single moms. And I did a poll and I think it was about 50-50 between a cruise and a getaway. And it just seems that the cruise was more economical so that, you know, we don't have to really um, include the cost of food. All of that is included in the price of the cruise. Uh, So once you have paid for the cruise, you don't have to worry about food unless, you know, of course, you want to taste food on the island. Um, And, you know, it just makes it easier 
to um, pay for the trip as well because you put down your deposit and then you don't have to come up with the balance until next year. Um, actually, next year, March. So that's around income tax time. Not telling you guys what to do with your income tax money, but if you have been wanting to travel or you have been wanting to travel with your kids, um, this is the perfect opportunity to do so. Um, the cruise ship does have kids camp for those of you who have kids ages three and up so you can actually bring them to kids camp and they have activities and all sorts of things for them to do as well as they have nurseries but the price of the nursery is not included in the cost of the cruise I want to say that it's anywhere from six to eight dollars um, per hour so if you do decide to bring um, a child that's younger than three but they do have to be older than one just putting that out there okay also if you have not taken the time out to subscribe please pause this go ahead and do so so that you never miss an episode and you always receive your notifications without further ado let's get into today's episode hi Lakeisha welcome to experiencing motherhood single and black so excited to have you on to talk about dealing with school behaviors as a single parent. How are you this morning? I am good. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, kind of like what you do and how many kids you have, how long you've been a single mom. Um, I am a single mother of two, um, a boy and a girl. They're both 10 right now. <laughs> They're 11 months apart. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> and I, I, right? Yeah, they should have been twins. <laughs> um, I've, I've been a single parent, gosh, oh, since like maybe like my son was three. He's the oldest. So, and I'm, I'm and he's 10 now. So what is that? Eight, uh, seven years? Yeah, seven years. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's been a little while. Um, me and their dad had to had to grow through our own pains and journey and heal from it to actually be um, good co-parents with each other, um, mm-hmm. to co-parent our children. Um, but what I do for a living, my profession, I am a licensed professional counselor. Um, I have a private practice here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, called the Evolving Chair Counseling and Consulting Agency. And I also host a podcast, the Evolving Chair Podcast. And so I work a lot with individuals. (laughs) I work a lot with individuals of trauma, and so specifically children and families. um, And I work a lot with schools, so providing that education um, to teachers, um, to agencies in the community as well, to daycare providers. And so just really educating people about trauma and like how therapy is dope, how we need to protect our mental health and going to see a therapist ain't nothing wrong with it. Cause I'm definitely an advocate for, um, the minority community and people understanding the importance of taking care of their mind. Yes, for sure. That's awesome. Lakeisha, I love what you're doing. Um, especially when it comes down to um, helping out with these kids and, you know, their behavior, because I think it's so important, you know, like teachers have a really huge job and, you know, we just send our kids to school and they take care of the kids, but 
they have the responsibility of teaching the kids in the classroom, but then also like managing those behaviors by themselves, you know? So when, you know, when the teacher has a problem like managing those behaviors, then they have to remove the student from the learning environment. And I think that's where we can come in as parents and begin to kind of figure out what is going on with our child. So Lakeisha, what do you think are some things that influences student behavior? Um, definitely any kind of big transitions. Um, I've seen it across the board where parents were recently divorced or maybe a death in the family or relocating from a different state. Now they're in this new environment, um, new schools, don't really know people. Um, if one parent all of a sudden is no longer as involved and um, that child is used to having both those parents equally sharing the role, even if they were ever together, um, definitely trauma. Um, so, and, and the thing about trauma, because I know many of the times people always think of like the extreme things like sexual abuse, um, domestic violence, but trauma is really to the individual. So meaning whatever they feel is life threatening. And, and it can range from a number of things because what may be traumatic to this person may not necessarily be traumatic to the other person over here. So trauma really is the feeling that we have after something occurs, um, whether it's something that is said or something that is done physically or something that you've seen, um, so like community violence, things like that. So it, it's really imperative to the individual and how it's making them feel. Okay, and I think that it's, you know, really important for the parents to be aware of what triggers those behavioral problems, and that's why I had mm-hmm. you to kind of talk about, you know, what causes that. Now, um, when the teachers, you know, they begin to have those issues in the classroom, and they contact the parents, sometimes parents can be, like, really offensive. So how can, mm-hmm. you know, the parents start to really try to hear the teacher out and what steps can they take at home to kind of work with the teachers in that aspect? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And I would say, um, especially for parents, because I am a parent, is looking at the teacher as a partnership, you know, because I know, um, and just with some of the parents I work with, they do have the mindset like, well, you know, you you should know how to handle these behaviors, but oftentimes, just from me working with the teachers, they don't. They don't get that in you know. Yeah, they're taught some behavior management techniques. However, they aren't equipped to deal with the real mental health presenting issues from, like, the trauma um, that is occurring in these children's lives. And so I think for parents is knowing that this is the partnership. And mm-hmm. if you know anything about your child, you know to educate the teacher. You right. know, you know those triggers that will set them off. You know, having that conversation with a teacher to be like, hey, you know, little Johnny, you know, you can't yell at him because if you yell at him, he's gonna do this or he's gonna do that. You know, so it's okay to 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 have that dialogue and look at it as a partnership. You know, with the teacher and just educating them on things that you may be aware of. And now, in terms of um, parents being able to handle the behaviors at home, I'm a big big advocate for parents modeling the behaviors we want to see. Because, you know, as and I was raised in the school, 
of thought where it was like, you know, do as I say, not as I do, you know, but with me being in this field, you know, I had even changed my thought to be like, well, I can't just teach my kids or teach parents, oh, you know, as long as they do what you say, it's okay, because when the child see you doing something that's totally against what you told them not to be doing, they're going to be like, wait a minute, this don't add up, this don't line up, this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And so if you need to model that behavior you want them to see. So if you want your child to to be calm and, and to be able to self-regulate their emotions and, and not be, you know, cussing people out, fussing and all of that, we have to model that. So when we get upset, you know, we need to check ourselves at the door to be like, well, shoot, you know, I, I can't be sitting over here cussing and fussing and throwing fit and, you know, expecting my child to, to do the opposite when this is what they see on a daily basis. You know, because right. we are, whether we want to believe it or not, as parents, we are our kids' first teacher. So whatever is taught at home unconsciously and consciously is what's going to come out when, when we see it in the community, when we see it in schools, wherever. So it's parents definitely modeling that behavior. And then having conversations about emotions. You know, talking about emotions, you don't have to be afraid about talking about that at all. Giving your child language, because many of the times the kids I work with don't have the language um, meaning, so they don't understand what it means to be excited or, you know, even really angry and what's behind that anger, because oftentimes anger is a secondary emotion um, mm -hmm. that's covering up like the deep-rooted one. So, you know, a child many of the times can be really afraid, but it's easy enough for them to show anger, right? And so, because they don't want to acknowledge the fear, they may not know what that feeling of fear is like. So it's for parents to have that conversation just talking about the different emotions and asking their child, so when you're feeling like this, what does that look like for you? For them to better understand those things. Um, developing realistic coping skills because, you know, especially through the stages of development, you know, coping skills are key for us to stay grounded and be able to self-regulate. And so it's just being realistic with what actually helps you calm down and being realistic in the environment, you know, music helps you calm down. But yet in school, you know, you may not have teachers that are understanding for them to really use music. Okay. Let's find an alternative way for a while you're at school. What can help you calm down or who are those safe places or safe people that you can go and talk to as well? Yes, I definitely agree with that. And then, um, like you said, you know, I think it's super important to, talk to your kids about those emotions like and like you said you know you had to change your behavior uh, your behavior and then I had to change mine because I grew up in a house where you know I was raised by my grandma and she would always like raise her voice and so mm -hmm. I found myself doing the same thing you know when I initially like when my daughter turned two or three like there were so many um, things that she was doing that I couldn't really understand. And then I believe I, re I read like this child psychology book and it really made me um, open <laughs> my mind to a lot of things. And so I began to have those conversations with her. Hey McKinley, you know, it's okay for you to cry, but you're not going to keep crying just so that you can get what you want. Right. Because, you know, I think mm -hmm. like, automatically if she can't have something she just starts to cry and cry and cry and I'm like 
right. you know, trying to explain to her that, you know, because I, I also think that, you know, we were taught that, you know, you need to be strong and you um, shouldn't be crying or whatever. But no, I'm teaching my daughter, like, mm-hmm. it's okay to cry because I understand now that it's a healthy way of releasing emotions. But I'm just also like, you know, you can't cry and cry crying is going to solve your problem. I said, you know, you have to understand that you can't always have things when you want them and kill Sometimes you, you know, you have to have patience and, you know, she's five mm-hmm. now. So we, yeah. we talk about patience, we talk <laughs> about, you know, what it looks like. Cause she still has those episodes where she'll cry, you know, she'll cry and cry and cry and think like, mm-hmm. okay, just cause I'm crying, my mommy's going to do this or because she can't get something. She wants to throw a tantrum and we have to talk about that, you know, um, because they go to school mm-hmm. and they see these other kids acting out. So they think that, Oh, well, let me try this at home. You know, <laughs> like if it mm-hmm. works for at school, it may work for me at home and no, no ma'am, that is not how it works. So um, yeah. also, I think it's important to talk about, you know, the consequences for their behavior and actually defining mm-hmm. behavior for them. Like instead of telling them like, oh, you're being bad or you're being good, like talk about yeah. what it looks like, what that means, because yeah. they don't always understand those big words. So you have to like really break it down for them. Mm-hmm. And that's such a great, great point, Kim, um, that you even had to like retrain, right, your your upbringing. Um, your school appearance and that you were kind of grandfathered into um because even with my son you know right like you said like you know especially in our community you know we teach our children oh it's not okay to cry especially our boys right mm-hmm. like you know crying you acting like a girl and you're a sissy and so for me that was really big because i was like growing up i don't think i really saw my my brothers cry and i, I can only remember my dad crying one time and for my, for me as a parent raising a son, it was like I, I need to do something different to let him know it's okay to cry. You know, like it, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Like you said, right? Those tears actually can bring a sense of relief. You know, and then it's like okay, like let's you got that all out now. Let's talk about it. You know, let's process what has happened or what yes. you're feeling. And so it, it's. It's for us as parents, especially single mothers, right, raising black children, black boys, um, specifically, it's okay, mom, for you to tell your son it's okay to cry. You know what I mean? Because I think that is always the fear of a single mother raising a son. It's like, well, you know, I got to teach him how to be a man. And it's like, that's fine, but also let him know about his emotions. You know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the show um, Love Is no. on OWN TV. No. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a show written by um, Mara Brockett-Kill and her husband, Celine. And they were um, on The Breakfast Club with one of the um, the actors in the show, Will Catlett, um, and he's so dope. And, you know, he was like, in his class, um, in his college course, his professor was like, if you met a man who hasn't cried in 12 years, he's a ticking time bomb. And when he said that, I was just like, that is so true and so powerful. Because we reinforce to our boys, you know, you cannot cry. But let's think about it. If he doesn't show that emotion, it's all bottled up. And sooner or later, it's going to erupt like a volcano. And we all know how dangerous volcanoes can be when they erupt. You know, so it's the same aspect when we're thinking about it when we're raising these boys. 
It's like, if he doesn't get this out, think of the damage that can be done to him and maybe others around him. Yes. I think that is so good, too, because like you said, um, raising boys is so hard, especially for um, single moms. Now, Lakeisha, I don't know if you're okay with talking about about this, but um, is your kid's dad in his life, or are you solely responsible for um, taking care of him and raising him as a young man today? Yeah. No, so um, their their dad, um, so they have the same dad. So their Mm -hmm. dad is involved, um, but I do um, wholeheartedly pull on my support system, like my community that I've built in terms of like using um, the grandparents, the grandfathers, the uncles, you know? So it's like building, and I don't want to say not necessarily like relying on dad to like show him the ropes but it's like okay you know because like I said in the beginning it was hard for me and their dad um just to kind of coexist you know um in the same room even having simple conversations without us getting upset at each other and so through that journey I had to learn to use community and so, and I still heavily rely on community, you know, granted me and their dad, um, now we're able to have conversations and just talk and things like that. So that's not a problem. Um, so he is involved, but I also have that extension of community to kind of like fill in those gaps as well. And I know everybody isn't blessed to have that, you know, so but I'm yeah. definitely right for that. I was just about to ask, so do you have any parents that you um, have as clients that may not have that other parent in their life, especially raising boys. And if you do have those clients, then what are some of the common issues that you see um, with them? Yeah, no, I do. I do have those parents that are, are single parents. But the, the conversation that we have it is, is trying to figure out those people in your life that you can kind of build in that whether it's um, mentorship programs, because many of them have now led to being getting a mentor for their son, or even being like, well, you know, my brother is around, and like, you know, my son loves his uncle, and I'm like, there you go. You know, because I think oftentimes we, we just look at ourselves being in the thick of it and being alone, but I always tell people, it's always one person at least that you have in, in your community that you may not even be thinking about until somebody is asking those questions. And so it's really like having those parents that tap into those resources and just looking at what's available to you. And some may be the traditional route of family members and close friends. Some may be the non-traditional route of like mentorship programs, big brothers, big sisters, things like that, or even like those community programs through like the Boys and Girls Club, or through like a local community agency or a local community center. And so it's really having those conversations with those parents. And then if they're just like, you know what, Lakeisha, like it's really nobody or, you know, I don't feel comfortable with my kid, with this person, I don't know. And I get that as a parent. And it's just talking to them, well, okay, but you can't like uh, do double work, you know what I mean? And feel guilty for the other parent not being involved. Like, of course we want, both parents to be involved in our kids' life, but the reality is, is not both parents are always involved. And so it's just having that conversation with their parents to be like, well, 
you know, as long as you are doing the best you can do, that's all that matters. As long as you show up for your child, let them know that you love them and you care for them, that you're a safe person, you're providing the safe space for them. That's all that matters. Yes, I absolutely agree. Now, Lakeisha, let's talk a little bit about the importance of understanding the child's development, because I feel like some parents don't really have a clue. And I think that if they did, it would help them understand a whole lot better. You know, like sometimes we think, okay, this kid is not listening. Um, and they keep doing the same thing over and over again. And sometimes we get so impatient and we kind of give up and start allowing them to do whatever it is that they want to do. When, if they understood the importance of, you know, knowing how the child develops, they would understand that this is just a phase. You know, they're at this age where this is going to happen and you have to continue to do the work so that they understand how they're supposed to act, you know? Um, Talk about Mm -hmm. that a little bit. Okay. No, that's a really, really great question because I do, um, in my head, I'm always like, man, like, when parents do come in, they're like, well, they shouldn't be doing this. And I'm trying to think of, like, real concrete examples for the listeners. Um, so let them know, like, no, that's pretty normal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's so crazy. <laughs> so crazy. Uh, yes, so I, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, let's see. Okay, like, because um, I, I see children, too, as young as, like, four. And so um, I'm thinking of a five-year-old. And so if, <laughs> if, they're, if they're mocking things like that, and, you know, the parents are like, but they didn't never used to do that, and now they want to do that. And I'm just like, why are you doing And I was like, you know, that's actually pretty normal. <laughs> um, I was like, because they're, te- they're testing the limits. I was like, because what we have to understand about children is that um, – just like naturally they're manipulative. So we have to like help uh, unlearn that behavior, you know, and kind of like teach them, like you said, like how you did with your daughter, right? Like, you know, I had to teach her like, it's okay to cry. However, you're not going to cry every time because you can't get your way. So you have to help teach that skill for her, for her to understand like, well, you know, like I got to cry when something is wrong with me. You know, not just when I don't get my way, but be able to express, okay, well, you know, I feel this type of way, mommy, because I didn't get my way, but it won't lead her to crime. Because yeah. oftentimes, <laughs> right, that's that manipulative behavior, and many parents give into it, and then now, you know, they've created the kid that's, you know, used to getting whatever they want. Yeah. So, but no, something as simple as that, like the mocking behavior, <laughs> literally, I had a parent come in and say that, and I was just like, no, that's pretty normal, that's pretty standard. Um, even yeah, like, my daughter uh, did that. <laughs> like, it's like the tape recorder stage. It's like she repeats every single thing. <laughs> oh yeah, they are like sponges for sure. Um, even like I'm thinking like eight and nine year olds, right? Because they're learning about just like genders, and so it's kind of natural for them to like explore their body parts, right? Mm-hmm. And so now, um, and for parents not to be alarmed because like that is natural, like that's just like part of the state. However, it be- becomes um, 
uh, a concern for some parents where I will say, you know, to kind of like watch that is if they're going to school and like, you know, uh, touching other kids mm. or um, showing people, you know what I mean? Like, yes. you, you kind of got to be be on, on, on the watch for those type of things um, or if they're saying parts of the body that typically are like you know like slang type of terms you know kind of just like correct that behavior for sure um but definitely proper terminology too oh my gosh (laughs) like okay yes that that is crucial that is what we learn um just in in what i do and talking to parents like i literally i educate parents on this is is tell your kids the proper name tell them the vagina the breast the um penis the testicles like Tell them those proper terms because, okay, kids who know those terms, more than likely they say um, decrease the chances of, of being sexually abused or molested, things of that nature. But um, because, and, and I think it's really heavy for them to teach the, the kids the, the natural terms because um, it stems from a situation years back um, and it was researched on um, of a little girl um, that was taught to call her vagina at her pocketbook and you know somebody touched her and she tried to tell the teacher like you know like he touched my pocketbook and so of course if somebody's like oh he touched your pocketbook what like oh okay that's not a big to do but right. comes to find out it was like he touched her vagina you know oh, and wow. it was an adult that did it so again, right? So teaching your kids the proper terminology so that way they can share that with you. You know, because I have those conversations with my kids. I let them know the, the proper terms and, and for us and I and I ask them about those things, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I just ask them, like, you know, has anybody said anything to you that made you feel uncomfortable? You know, has anybody ever touched you or actually do anything? And I'm like, would you tell me? You know, like if somebody did it, my kids, they are so funny. They be like, yes, mama, like, yes. And like, even before I can get out, like, would you uh, tell me? They be like, yes, and we will tell you. Cause like, girl, I, I ask them this like literally every day. And so I know they just be like, really? Like, <laughs> yes. but no, it's like to be assumed with your child and on the same accord, you know, um, and, and be a part of their world and just kind of um, educating them. So no, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess, um, well, then I say, so we understand that, you know, understanding the child development is important, but then like at home establishing like their behaviors and how they should act at home and the consequences that they will have and how, um, they won't do anything else at school. Right. Because, you know, sometimes, kids will act one way at school and one way at home or vice versa. So I don't know. I feel like it's important to kind of have that conversation with your child and really communicate um, at their current level so that they understand that, okay, this is how you act at home and you are going to act the same way at school, you know, cause sometimes again, you yeah. know, they act differently. So Um, What are some ways, Lakeisha, that the parents can, you know, make sure that they have that conversation and that they are um, putting things in place so that the kids know, like, this is how I will act all the time, not just at home, 
not just at school, but this is how I need to behave. Yeah. And no, Kim, I'm a firm believer. It's just as simple as having the conversation with your child. And again, modeling it too, because you don't want, right? So your kids see you acting one way at home, but then in public, like you perfect Susie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so for them, they're going to be like, wait a minute. So, okay, just, you know, in certain areas, I act one way, but then in another place, I could be, however, it's like, so for the parent to show up consistent too. So again, you know, a, a big part of parenting is being that teacher and we are teaching our kids. And so it's for the parents to definitely show up consistently in their behavior in all areas of life, in community, home, school, however. Um, you know, even just having that conversation for the child and like you said, just for them being like, okay, well, it's not okay for you to go to school and, you know, throw things or hit people because that's, that's not nice. That's not fair. You don't do that here. So it's like we have to learn to use our words. So it's just really having that conversation and also modeling that same behavior. Like it all comes down to modeling. Because <laughs> we can talk to our kids all day, but what they see has a lot of lasting impressions. Mm, yes okay that makes a lot of sense so communication and modeling the behavior it's so important got it yeah so let's talk a little bit about some of these uh behavioral disorders because you talked a lot about trauma and you know how it's more difficult to kind of deal with these kids versus like dealing with kids who I don't want to say like normal kids or races like kids with behavior disorders, but um, hmm, how can I say this? You know, just if the kid doesn't have a disorder versus a kid that does have a disorder, like how they are different and how those parents can deal with those kids. So one of the most common um, behavioral disorders is um, ADHD, right? So if you guys are familiar with ADHD, it is a, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and it's something that happens in the brain so I'm gonna let you talk about that a little bit because I'm not like um, very knowledgeable about it but what I do know is that um, in the black community um, a lot of kids will say um, the, the kid is hyperactive and you need to get him some medicine because he has ADHD like they automatically label them is ADHD and then they go and they go to you know the doctor and they tell them these things and then they automatically want to get the child on medicine because they probably just don't understand that sometimes it's not ADHD it is actually like a kid that's very energized and I don't know Mm -hmm. I just think that that's a problem like it's a serious problem and I hear people talk about it all the time well I'm getting him some medicine or I'm getting her some medicine because you know, she has ADHD. So kind of talk about that and what it really looks like. Yeah. And so the thing with ADHD is that you need to um, show those symptoms of impulsivity in at least, least, I believe it's two out of the three areas. And so this this is how I, I tell parents that it's really cut like cut and dry. If, if at school the kid is really impulsive, hyperactive, but at home you're like, oh, no. Like they'll, they can sit down, they can focus on reading this book or doing that. That's not ADHD. You know, because it has to show up in two areas. Like the thing with ADHD, it, it, it don't turn off and off like that. 
And so when, when that is the case and where we're hammering that out, I talk to the parent, okay, so like, have they ever experienced any kind of like trauma or anything like that? And then many of the times they're like, well, wait, you know, their grandmother did pass or, you know, their dad hasn't been in their life, you know, so you start like weeding out those types of things because the thing about ADHD like behaviors is that trauma can, um, ADHD can mask the trauma. So many of the times the behaviors that we see can be related more so to trauma and not necessarily ADHD. So that's something for parents to be aware of as well. But just in general, ADHD, like literally across the board, and <laughs> in, in, across the board in, in different settings, this child is the same kid. So they can't sit down and focus for longer than maybe like 10, 15 minutes. I've actually had it where kids couldn't focus and sit down with me longer than like five or eight minutes. Oh, wow. And it was the same way at home. And so, but also, too, this, and this was a kid who had, like, some serious trauma as well. So it was kind of like a twofold thing for him. Um, But, yeah, so, you know, you're looking at those type of things, like the organization, you know, um, are they able to to do step-by-step instructions or do, you know, they only hear that first thing and then, you know, the rest of the stuff you said out the window. But again, this is happening across the board in different, in, in the community, in home, um, at school type of setting. So it, it can't just be, oh, they just do that in the community. But at home and at school, you know, they, they can sit down. They can do their work. They can, that's not ADHD, you know. So people, um, but then too, you, have, you do have ADD, attention deficit disorder. So that doesn't always have the hyperactivity, but it still encompasses the um, not being able to focus and stay on the path. So I think that that is something too for parents to be aware of. It may not be ADHD, but needing to be ADD. But again, it needs to be across the board in those spectrums of their lives. It ain't just going to pop up in one area and not show up in others. Yes. So the next disorder I want to talk about is the autism spectrum disorder. So this is basically a developmental disorder that affects communication and behavior. So do you have a lot of clients or parents that you kind of talk to about their child with autism and them being in the regular classroom? Because sometimes I don't know if it's based on like levels or um, what, but sometimes they are in regular classrooms and they might not know right away, or sometimes they will know early on. So what about those parents? Cause sometimes they do have a lot of behavioral, um, issues. Yeah. So my work with the state, I did a lot of, um, autism work with teens actually. And when I worked for, um, an organization called Wraparound here in Milwaukee, um, where they like wrap around different services around the family to support the child's mental and behavioral health um, needs. And so I worked with a lot of um, adolescents, even in that program as well, that were on the autism spectrum. And so, but, but the kids were like, well, because they were diagnosed at like three and four. And so, you know, now I'm working with kids and they were at that, that time, like age like 15, 16. Um, so the parents already had a good handle on um, how to handle the behaviors. But yeah, like many of them were were really aggressive, unfortunately. Um, so like physically aggressive, verbally aggressive, 
um, that is the social skills piece where they aren't able to read like the social norm cues out here in society. And so they take it in and perceive it a different way when it's not that. Um, so like misunderstanding those social cues. So yeah, so like now though, with the, um, the children that I work with, you know, cause I always assess the kids for like everything possible, like of, of what I'm seeing. Honestly, now I don't see as many children that I even would, um, even diagnose them as autism. However, it's a few that I'm like, hmm, like I see some autism-like behaviors in the sense of social skills, but I wouldn't necessarily, like, it's like they're a milder version of somebody with autism on the spectrum. So like, it's really not like acute or high need. Like they may just have like some, some pieces where I'm just like, oh, maybe it might be autism because of how they interact socially. It's like that social awkwardness for them, again, where they aren't able to read those social norm cues among their peers. It's difficult for them to keep and maintain friends. So I see some of those things. And, you know, the question would be like, well, Keisha, how do you know that's not like, you know, age appropriate or things like that, because typically at this point in life, like eight, nine, you should be able to read those social cues from your peers, and you kind of understand those things, mm-hmm. um, but it's just, some, it's, it's just something, like, and I, I'm sorry, I can't even explain it, because it's just like, it's like you just know, where you're just like, yeah, like, this kid might have some, you know, might be spectrum in certain areas, but it's not full-blown, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. And so um, I know there are so many other, like, disorders, but the last one um, I want to cover for the sake of time is, like, the anxiety disorder. And I feel like a lot of parents are not really aware of this. Like, they think maybe the child is too young to have anxiety, but you know, anxiety can happen at any age. So talk about that a little bit, Lakeisha. Yeah, no, and you actually be surprised how many kids um, that I work with that present with anxious-like behaviors. And again, too, we're thinking of, um, because one thing, too, I forgot to mention is, like, a lot of the times, too, we have to look at genetics, right? And so oftentimes, there's a connection. So like if I have a, a mother who was like, well, I, I have depression. I was depressed while I was pregnant. And it's like, we have to understand that there's something working even while the, the baby is in utero. So inside the womb, like how all of those things interconnect with mm. the parent's um, mental health as well. So that's just something like if there's any moms that are currently pregnant um, and that are, are battling with um, depression, it definitely seeks that support. And then to like, you know, um, following up even after your child um, is born and starts to develop, you know, just start watching different type of behaviors because many of the kids that I do, do work with that are like emotionally unregulated, a lot of the times it is attributed to like the mom being, having depression. Um, or like some trauma and things like that. But that's just something that I definitely want to make sure I know with people. But um, in terms of anxiety disorder with 
kids, you know, it's literally like how it is for adults oftentimes. It's like where those thoughts are ruminating, you're having like a thousand thoughts per minute, um, where you start to feel sick, like many of them actually are feeling physically sick um, to the pits of their stomach where they, they feel like throwing up, they're nauseous. And, you know, as we talk about that and process it, you know, because how our brain works, so when we, we are anxious, we are fearing something is dangerous around us. So we're in that fight, flight, or freeze mode of our brain, and our amygdala has popped its lid, and it's trying to figure out what's going on. And so the, the, the key way for even helping a child do that is to help them get grounded. And so grounded means help them do some breathing exercises, some meditation, some mindfulness, things like that, and um, for them to really tap into their body and for their body to know that it's safe. Because if our brain stays in that space of either fight, flight, or freeze so often, untreated anxiety can turn into those, um, those uh, I don't want to say serious mental health issues, but, you know, those ones that are more acute. Um, such as, you know, bipolar and things of that nature. And so it's good to have your conversation with your kid. You know, if, if you're like, you know, like like if they're worried about like you coming home or not, or um, they always want to be next to you, um, or, or they're just worried about something always happening to them. And it's like these are these are all real things. And uh, as us as parents, that we should not um, dismiss, but we should, you know, kind of uh, talk it out with them and then seek that support from a licensed professional to kind of help um, build up the skills for them to be able to cope with their emotions. And then, you know, again, too, like it can be attributed to a trauma that they've experienced. So we never want to dismiss when our child is sharing something or we know it's something maybe a little different from them for them. Okay. And so I think personally that if we are really communicating with our children, then we could kind of be able to see that they are getting anxious or starting to have anxiety so that we could take the necessary steps. But then you have to be able to have that ability to say, well, I'm going to seek professional help because, you know, I don't know what's going on with my kid and she's acting like this and this is not normal. But if you never really communicate with the kid, then, you know, it's kind of hard to tell, right? So I think it's so important Mm -hmm. that we really try to do a better job of communicating with our children on their level too, because that's another thing. But um, my last question is how can the parent manage the behaviors a little bit better at home than having to have the teacher to say, okay, you know, I'm having a problem. Or I guess like setting this sort of behavior management plan. I don't know if that's a thing, but mm-hmm. yeah, just I feel like if the, if they are prepared, maybe they won't have as many issues or even you can share like some of the things that you do at home as far as um, behavior management. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, So number one, for sure, always, because it's been like throughout this whole interview today, modeling, 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 (laughs) (laughs) modeling that behavior. (laughs) 
modeling that behavior, talking to your child about emotions, talking to them about triggers, helping them understand what are those things that make you feel sad, what are those things that make you feel angry, what are those things that make you feel excited. Um, so understanding those triggers, and then talking to them about how normal it is for us to feel all these emotions, but how we respond um, is what reigns heavy. So, you know, giving them an example, you know, so like, so if you see mommy, like, <laughs> um, throwing things, do you think that's really good for me to be able to handle um, me feeling angry? And, you know, hopefully your child is like, no, <laughs> you know, that's not good. And then it's, it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe mommy should have took a deep breath or took herself to a quiet area to calm down, you know, and so then that's when you can talk about coping skills and helping them understand coping skills allows you to be able to self-regulate, so allow you to calm yourself down without anybody else having to do it for you. Because yeah. the thing about it, if, if our kid can can self-regulate, they're going to be great. Yes, um. I was like, I know, I'm sorry. Um, I want to like interrupt one second though because you said something, and no, I remember okay. that um, one time I actually apologized to my daughter because I was just like hollering for no reason, and I was like, "Okay, mommy is sorry." She, you know, was hollering, and she shouldn't have done that. Like, I'm sorry, you know. Just like I think that if she can see that I can apologize for my misbehavior that she can do the same thing. And sometimes, like, she'll even, like, throw stuff on the floor um, when she, you know, gets upset or whatever. And then I'll say, um, why did you do that, you know? And she'll say, well, I was upset because you made me mad. Okay, so what is mad? When you, when you say mm -hmm. that you're mad, how do you feel? And so, again, that's just my example of, like, communicating with my child. Yes, I love that. And then too for parents, because that was a great example of sometimes us as parents, we again because we're modeling, we're modeling twenty four seven. Yes, and I'm so, I, like, I will say y'all, I'm not the perfect parent. I promise, but it's just like I do a lot <laughs> of reading, and so um, I've learned a lot from reading and listening to podcasts, and so. Um, it's just something that I've really had to work hard on, you know, being a young parent, especially. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that is so awesome. Cause I think sometimes as parents, right. Cause we'd be like, oh, our child ain't gonna remember that or do that. But again, what, what they see has, has a lasting impression. Yes. And so it's imprinted in their brain. If they saw mommy act like that. They ain't gonna get, hey, we know that kids don't forget nothing. Nothing. You know, nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they do you not. Forget you done said something or did something. They're gonna bring it right back, like, wait a minute. But you said this and you did this. And he's like, I did. Like, you, you know, so it's like, we gotta understand that two kids don't forget nothing. And so for you to be able to go back and be like, mommy is sorry because mommy shouldn't have done that. You know, I think that, that, again, that is reinforcing to her life. It's not okay for me to act like that when I'm angry. So yeah. i got to find a better way to tell people I'm angry, you know? Yeah, and, and sometimes so, I'll tell her, like, I just need a moment. Like, mommy was feeling upset, and she just needs a moment in her room, okay? She just needs a moment. 
well, mommy, can Aww. I just come? Can I just come right right now? Are you okay now? Are you you know? But yeah, that's, that's how we operate. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. But yes, so modeling, talking about those emotions, developing those coping skills again, and being realistic. You know, so it's funny because me and my children usually start our day off with uh, a meditation. That's usually like about like 10 minutes or something like that. And it's so funny when we started doing it, my son was like, well, I'm going to fall asleep. And I was like, well, that's fine. Because, you know, your body's still going to be in a state of calm, so that's okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's us doing those things together. And for me, showing them through like, you don't need this music or somebody talking to you to be able to meditate for like three minutes in class. Like you need to center yourself. You can create, like let's create a script in your head that you can kind of recite to yourself um, in those three minutes to help get you back centered and focused. We talk about breathing. There's all different kinds of breathing. There's bubble breathing where I use like bubbles with, with students. Square breathing where it's like you're just kind of drawing a square with your finger. You know, triangle breathing, like literally, like you can make breathing like all different kinds of stuff. Um, so me and my kids do a lot of breathing. You know, we we do pauses where it's like, okay, stop and pause. You know, before you respond or before you react, because you know we don't want to react. We want to respond. So you know, um, it, it's educating even my children on doing these things at home so that way when they when it comes to them doing it at school it just comes naturally when the situation comes up they can just you know do it naturally without without any issues so definitely i would say start there and of course if you're like Ooh, none of this is really working or and i won't say working but um you know it, it's still a need for something else then that's where you do um where i would encourage parents to seek out that support um from trying therapy because it may be something a little more deeper than what we can see as parents going on. Yes. And then especially if you have problems like communicating or, you know, you have issues with patience, then it's definitely important for mm-hmm. you to see um, a therapist as well, I think. Yeah. No, no that I- is so, so true. You know, I said I had one last question, but I actually have one more. I'm so sorry. And then I promise. Okay, that's okay. So um, when the parents are actually looking for a professional, like counselor or therapist, um, what are some ways that they could look for someone who works for them? Because I think it's really important to know how to search for that person who actually will understand the parent. Because everybody... Um, every I guess every therapist is not for every parent or every counselor is not for every parent so how do they find like which one works best for them and maybe for their child and I don't know if you think like the same counselor or therapist should see both mom and child or if they should actually have different ones um, like whenever they go together and then one goes separately like talk about that a little bit Okay, um, so starting off with trying to figure out how the therapist would be a good fit, and maybe it'll be twofold, like how do I know the therapist would be a good fit for my child, um, and then how do I know the therapist would be a good fit for me. So in terms of like a child, I always, um, encourage, so many of us, many of the therapists, we offer like 15, 20 minute um, free consultations over the phone, and so honestly, I encourage um, everyone to start there. You know, you see a therapist and read their bio because many of us are on um, Psychology Today 
um, good therapy, um, things like that. And so I would read the bio, and, and if anything in it resonates with you, I would pick up that phone to call that therapist for that 15, 20-minute free consultation and ask your questions. You know, give a little um, a brief synopsis of what's going on, what's leading you to seek out this support, and then kind of just listen, listen in to how the therapist share how they would handle the, the situation, um, how they would work with both you and the child, um, as well as their experience, like what what is their experience working with children and families? Cause, you know, not everybody, and you know, to be told, not everybody that I know that are therapists necessarily want to work with kids. You know, like that's not what they want to do. Um, they have a you know a preferred population, so I would look into that too. Like, okay, you know, how well do you work with children and, and even families? So asking them what is their 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 experience within that. Um, and maybe give examples, maybe have them, because again, too, you know, it's twofold. Like the therapist, of course, is like interviewing um, who's ever on the other end to see if they'll be a good fit for them. And then vice versa, the individual on that end is interviewing the therapist to see if they'll be a good fit for them. And so, you know, it's, it's getting all your questions answered, almost like an interview, you know, because you are interviewing. You know, so you want to make sure you're asking about experience that they have working with children, working with parents, um, and maybe give an example. It'll be good to ask, can you give me an example of a time that you worked with a parent who kids struggle with X, Y, and Z? Like, how did you help them overcome that? Or, you know, what was that like? You know, I've had parents ask me flat out, like, you know, how successful have you been working with children and families? Like, and I'll be like, whoa, wait. <laughs> But, you know, those are great questions to ask because it's just like, and granted, you know, success looks different for every person, you know, because some parents may be like, I just want this behavior to decrease. Some may be like, well, I want it all gone. And you're like, okay, you know, <laughs> you know, so, so that thing of success, so I, I give different examples of um, what I deem as successful for the parents based on what parents have shared with me. So just not being afraid to ask those following questions, you know, and again, giving them a little synopsis of what you're going through, and then using those follow-up questions about their experience, um, and maybe sharing the time that they worked with a family or a child or a parent, and, you know, what was the success from that, you know, so it's okay to ask those questions. Yes, thank you so much, Lakeisha. I really appreciate it. And especially for you taking out the time to break everything down, I really think that a lot of moms will benefit from this. And hopefully they can actually take some of this that we've talked about and actually implement it to help, you know, with this school year and managing their children's behaviors. So let everybody know where they can actually find you and connect. Yes. So you guys can connect with me on Instagram at Lakeisha, L-A-K-I-E-S-H-A, L-T-C. Um, I do have my business page on there at The Evolving Chair. I'm on Twitter, The Evolving Chair without the R. I'm on Facebook, um, The Evolving Chair. Um, you can go to my website and just look around and connect with me there as well, www.TheEvolvingChair.com. And check out my podcast, because right now I'm on hiatus, because I'm amping up for season three. That'll be starting back up in September. Oh, um, sweet. So, I'm going to go listen. Yeah. 
Yes. So the Evolving Care Podcast. Um, I'm on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, literally wherever you stream your podcast. Um, I do Mindful Mondays on Mondays at 7.30 Central Standard Time on Instagram, PM. And so, you know, I actually did, because um, I had to double back and do it twice. Like the very first time I did it, it was called, um, you know, Five Ways for Parents to Help Their Child with Better Help Them with Their Emotions. And so I did it again because many parents were like, oh man, like I missed some of the steps, like or some of the tips. Like, you know, so can you do it again? So, like, I just recently did, like, all five in one IG Live. But what I am doing for um, people that do sign up for, to stay connected with me, is that they'll get a free PDF download of the five tips to help your child better manage their emotions. And so many of them were what, we, what I shared with you guys today. But if you're like, oh, I need to get all five, you know, just, you know, uh, go to my website and, Sign up to stay connected with me so you can get that um, routed to you. But yeah, that's that's where where people can connect with me at. So and I and I always respond to so some people be like, oh, like I'm scared to ask people stuff. Like, no, I I definitely try to um, respond to people and answer questions. So I'm not that way. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, is there any last thing that you want to say to the moms, Lakeisha? Yes. So moms, y'all are rocking it. Y'all are doing it. If nobody has told you that, you are doing it. And like, and, and it's funny because like on, on Instagram and like Facebook, I see all these dope mamas like doing their thing, working hard, um, raising their kids, you know. So keep keep doing what you're doing and don't forget to talk about those emotions and those feelings as well as for the mamas, like, you know, finding that space for you, that outlet, because we can't forget about us. And as moms, it's so natural for us to forget about ourselves because we wear all these hats. And so we don't take that time out for us. Even if it's like five minutes of quiet time, you know, do that. But practice self-care for yourself regularly. And you don't have to spend money to practice self-care. Self-care can be something as simple as taking a bath, lighting candles, reading a book, sleeping like <laughs> yeah so you know like hey i understand but practice practice self-care please yes i totally agree self-care is so important and i think a lot of people talk about it now so much but people still mm-hmm. don't really have um, an idea or they're still not taking the time so please do that one thing for yourself okay <laughs> But anyway, yes. yes. Thanks again, Lakeisha. I really enjoyed our conversation. I learned a lot. And I, again, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of the moms will learn a lot as well. And I'll be sure to link all of your information in the show notes so that everyone can be directed over to your site and platforms. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I really had a great time. I have to come back. You have to have me back. <laughs> I'm putting it out there in the atmosphere. <laughs> All right. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Lakeisha definitely dropped a lot of gems. So I hope you guys were paying attention. Um, as you know, she stated before, she has quite a bit of experience and she works with, you know, the schools and moms all the time so again if you found this helpful please leave us a review let us know 
what you thought about it. Definitely subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And you can connect with me over on Instagram at Single Black Motherhood. I'm also over on Facebook at Single Black Motherhood. And you can check out the website at www.singleblackmotherhood.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in each and every episode of the Back to School series. This is the last episode and we will begin a single dad series next week, which I'm super excited about. So uh, again, go ahead and subscribe, honey, so you do not miss out. Um, This is going to be really good. I know that a lot of you may change the way you think a little bit because I know sometimes we don't really know how men think. So it's always good for me to kind of understand everyone's thought process. You may not be like me, but I'm that person who likes to know why. Why does he do this? Why did, you know, she decide that? And they have really helped me to put some things into perspective. So I hope you guys will tune in. And until next week, talk to you guys later. Bye.